So this morning we continue on with one of my favorite passages, Acts chapter 5. This is the infamous Gamaliel passage. Uh, This is the infamous, what do we do when the government asks us to do things against God? What do we do? What do we do? Well, we're going to look at this and we're going to answer those questions. So I'm glad you're asking them. We, um, you know, as we start out, I I just want to encourage you, what do you do when something is before you and there is the conviction, the out-and-out conviction to reach out to someone who's just struggling. This is one of the challenges we have today. What do you do when there is a tension, when there is a, a moral problem, when maybe even in our society there are challenges that are happening all around you? What do you do when politics don't go your way? Well, I jump on social media, Pastor, and I let my way be known. No, you don't. Um, Just avoid all that if you can, please. Um, This morning is going to answer that question for you. I bet you didn't know you were going to get such a magnanimous question answered. So pay attention as we dive in today. Yesterday, uh, it it was just cruising along. It was a great day. I was re-watching the Warriors win from a couple days ago. Life was splendid. Um, and uh, I, I had just uh, uh, had my coffee, and my wife was out in the backyard, and she was, um, she was doing something. I don't know what she was doing. And then I, I received this, this uh, politeful um, request. Jeremy, come quick, quick. There's something in the pool and it's dying, it's drowning. And I'm like, what? So I go out and there is a little mouse, just a cute little mouse. And he's just hanging on. He's just barely hanging on, little mouse, little fifo, little fifo. <laughs> and, uh, and so my wife says, I need you. And now here's the operative question. Why couldn't she have just taken the scoop, the, the same one I did, and reach in and pull? No, I know why. She was having to hold the vicious dog back. From just so she had, she knew her rule. So I, I, I pull this mouse out, and he's just soaking. Have you ever seen a tiny mouse, a baby mouse, soaking wet? Oh, it's just about the most pathetic thing you've ever seen in your life. And so uh, he just kind of rolled over, and I bent over. I started giving him mouth to mouth. No, I didn't do that. And uh, started doing chest compressions. Philip, I was thinking, what would Philip do here? You know, right? No, he he was still hanging on well enough that you know he just looked pathetic. And so he got underneath this uh, part of our deck, and, and he was sitting there, and, um, you know, so I thought, well, let's do what we can and see if he's going to be okay. Let's maybe warm him up. So we started, we got a little, I got a sock, and the whole time my wife is like, eh, make sure it's not something we're going to use again, right? You know, don't, t- don't touch him, you know, and, um, and she's right. She's very right on that. And so, you know, I get this old sock, and I, I, I gather him up, and, and you know, he's, he's still pathetic, and he's still, you know, so I get a little saltine cracker, and I'm trying to warm him up. So then I go, and I get my daughter, Jericho, because I know she'll love to, like, try to nurse this thing back to health. And she's like, and so she renamed Fifold Despero. I don't know what she felt like she could, she was entitled to, I was the one that pulled him out of the pool. I named the little tiny mouse. So, you know, we're working with the mouse and, and everything's going well. And then we had an event we had to go to. So we put him in this, this 
like Tupperware thing that we're now never going to use again. And, um, and so Jericho's nursing him back to health and he's all fluffy and, and now he's all fat. He's eating way too much cracker and he's doing well. And, and now what we do notice is Fifel is not a mouse. Fifel's a rat. <laughs> and, uh, and it was that thing you never want to speak about. It's like, you know, your distant cousin, you know, you don't, nobody really wants to acknowledge them, you know, and you're like, you really have a distant cousin that's like a rat? No. <laughs> Thank you for that gratuitous laugh right there. And so um, we go to our event in Jericho's home nursing little Despero Fifel. We have rescued this poor thing from its captivity, its sheer death, and we put it in its cage, right? We had it all figured out. We had a little warm thing. Janine heated up some rice into a into a, uh, a, a, a torn-up um, rag that she sewed closed. So it was like this, this animal safety heater bag thing. And everybody was in on this. Even the dog was concerned. And, and uh, so we leave. And as we leave, I, I go and I place um, something over the top of this little makeshift cage. Now, just understand, little Fifel, uh he could just stand up and put his little paws over the top edge of this thing. Yeah, yeah. Not the smartest cage in the world, but the only one we could find that we were going to throw away. So I thought, well, let's just put, you know, let's put this thing over it. I get a text about an hour and a half after um, we're gone. Yeah, Fifel's free. Fifel's free. And uh, now Fifel's free in our house, our garage somewhere. And um, I think it was amazing. I don't know if the angel of the Lord showed up like in our, our message today and just opened the gate and let Fifel walk out. I don't know if that's what happened. I suspect not. I suspect it was just a lack of attention on our part. And my only hope in this story is that somehow I get a horrible thorn in my foot and I'm sitting on my sofa unable to move and little Fifel comes up and, and removes that thorn to say thank you for saving him. That's where I'm hoping this story goes eventually. So pray for my family and that my dog, and so if we all start looking like we have the plague, you may shoot us. Okay. And you know why. Little Fifel was in a cage that didn't hold him. Brothers and sisters, we need to look at life this way. And the way the story reveals itself today the apostles were put into a cage that couldn't hold them. And it was the angel of the Lord that did show up. So let's look at this today as we move through. The sermon title today is The Gates of Hell. You have sermon notes. You can move through that um, quickly. And, and let me tell you why. This goes back to Matthew 16, verse 18. It's a promise that Jesus gave. And it's a discussion with Peter when when Peter is asked the question, Peter, who do you say I am? And Jesus responds to him, You are the Christ! You are the Messiah! I know who you are! And so Jesus gives this great promise. Peter, upon you, the rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not what? Prevail against you. Can I just let you know, this is the salt with which we approach this, this, this passage today. This is a pivotal point in the church 
as we look at this story today, had this succeeded, I'm not sure the church would exist. There's only one reason the efforts of the Sanhedrin and the high priest did not succeed, and that is because of the power of Jesus Christ. And His agenda, and His agenda goes right back to this promise to Peter. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. And I want you to think about that in your own life when you feel caged. When you feel as if you can't get out. When you feel as if I need You, Lord, now more than ever. I want You to remember this promise and I want You to remember this very true story of what happened. And then I want you to see as you call upon the Lord what happens in your own life. So let's unlock the story this morning, shall we? So here's the passage, Acts 5. And as we look at it, some of this we will, we will speak to, some we will just move quickly through. And as we set this up, what has happened is that the people are, are gathering to the apostles. The apostles are doing mighty signs and wonders. And the people are amazed. And the power is with the apostles. It's really not with the religious leaders. But what's so bold about this is that these uh, miracles, these signs and wonders are happening within the offices or the church, if you will, of the high priest, of the religious leaders. But they're impotent. None of this is happening because of them. It's revolutionary. It's incredible. It's new, and the people see it. And so they're enamored with the apostles. And this was a huge threat. A huge threat to the status quo religious leaders. Let's pick it up. Verse 17 is where we'll start today. And this is the first section. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him. That is the party of the Sadducees. Now when we say the high priest, literally this is the same high priest that accused and and condemned uh, Jesus. This is Caiaphas. And then it's all the ruling class of the Sanhedrin and and the Sadducees. Uh, It'd be tantamount to the president and the Congress and the Senate all gathering together and making a decision in unity. Okay? Now, why did they make this decision? What was going on within them? It says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now as we look at this, you see it on the screen, you see it in your Scriptures. This is an amazing miracle. But let's, let's finish the thought real quickly here, okay? And he says, Go and stand uh, in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So, in in thinking through this, those who are threatened, they arrest. They silence those who God's power is with. Because they're jealous. 
Because it's going to affect them. It's going to turn everything upside down. This is what we affectionately call in theological terms, politics. Nothing's changed, right? There's nothing new under the sun. So let's look at this. The gates of hell, Jesus gives a promise to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail. So the the apostles are doing mighty things, incredible things, and what happens? They're thrown into jail. Now I want you to sit in that cell. Now this isn't necessarily the Roman cell. This would, the high priest, uh, the ruling class of, of the temple, uh, they had their own prison system. And so that's where they are. What would be going through your mind? I wonder if these words of Jesus Christ were in Peter's thinking. If Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against you, Peter, and now I'm locked up in prison. By the way, the last person I knew who got locked up in prison, it didn't go so well for. Right? Right? There's three things I want you to learn from this. There is no gate that can keep Jesus out. Amen? There is no gate that can keep Jesus out. No prison that can hold the Gospel back. This is what we see play out here in this story. This is what we're seeing around the world right now. Now, if that's the case, why don't we see a proliferation of these incredible things happen all around us in in Christian communities? Well, second point, the Gospel is only held back by spiritual apathy. You see, Peter and John and all the other apostles, I would assume that they are in prayer. They've been men of prayer over the past few weeks, over the past month, whatever it has been after the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room, they have been men of prayer. And now they're thrown into jail. It is safe to assume they are praying. And I wonder if there isn't just a steadfast confidence. They've just raised a paralytic who never walked. Which is harder, as Jesus would say, to forgive a man or heal a lame man? And I would think the disciples may be thinking this, which is harder, whatever's going to happen to us or what God's doing through us to raise those who cannot walk? But what about you and I? You see, the only thing that can hold back the power of the Gospel is spiritual apathy. Isn't that sad? If we had been apathetic about little Despero yesterday, Nobody's going swimming in my pool all summer. You know what I mean? Right? Little Despero was in a certain death situation. We pulled him out. And then we thought we'd put him in a cage. And and, and that guy's like, thank you. Thank you for drying me off. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for filling me. And thank you for now turning me loose within your house so I can destroy all your wiring, um, your cars, your your lives. And um, I'm scaring my wife. Let's go to the next point. Persecuted churches are thriving and growing and are powerful around the world. You see, the power of Christ is about to be demonstrated again. The answer for men who are threatened by the power and love of Jesus Christ is to try to lock it up. To shut it down. And it's happening in this story and it's happening around us all around the world even now. Yet we see through persecution, the same story, a thriving. We have persecuted churches in South America, in China, in Sudan, in the Middle East. 
as we look to this story, I want you to understand that one of the things that you want to grasp from this idea is when you think about the promise of Jesus Christ, when you think about captivity, when you think about these apostles being locked down, that nothing is too great for Jesus Christ. But you do not get it for free. Wait a minute, Pastor. I always hear about grace is free. Yes, absolutely. Let me finish what I'm saying. You see, the angel came and unlocked the door and did the miraculous, and then he just went away and, and had like an angelic feast somewhere, right? No. You see, the angel opens the gate. He opens the door, and then he says, I want you to go back and do exactly what you were doing that got you here. That is so awesome. I'm so excited about being a Christian. You see, I suffered for Jesus and I was at death's door and all of this, my whole life was disrupted and I sacrificed greatly for Him. And then what happened? He showed up just like the angel did, right? And set me free. And now I'm living uh, as a, a testimony and I'm asked to speak at all these great conferences around the world because that'll inspire all these people. And now I've signed a book deal and now I'm, I'm singing on, on WOW 2020. And, you know, all this stuff is happening in my life. And it's great. No! Go right back to where you were and do the same thing that got you here. You see, obedience to He who is so powerful that He can do anything. That's the key. That's what is making churches just thrive and flourish around the world. What is the key here when it comes to Jesus' promise and the gates of hell not prevailing against us? It's obedience. The only thing that can keep us from experiencing what happened here in this moment for the apostles when we find ourselves in lockdown spiritually is to be spiritually apathetic. Would you have been the person that the gate opens up and the angel says, now go right back to where you were? You say, I got three squares a day here. Let's just let the system play out, you know. Right? Think about this. Second point today. By the way, before I get to that second point, I encourage you, do some further work in this area. Go to Voice of the Martyrs on your, on your web. It's one of the good things of the web. It'll connect you up with what's happening with the church around the world that is suffering for Christ. Go look, pray, be encouraged. I encourage you as well, connect up with one of the missionaries that we support, uh, John and Dee Cook through uh, IMI, Indigenous Ministries International. Uh, I had a video. We don't have time for it today. Um, but go to their website. Join the missions committee. Find out what's happening around the world and join our missions committee and help get us mobilized more and more and more and let our people become very aware of what we're involved with around the world by partnering with people like John and Dee Cook. John just spent, I think, a month in Mosul. And as he's writing his newsletter, which you can receive their newsletter, there's a picture of it there, you can receive the newsletter, he's talking to pastors that we support, that are there, refuse to leave, and take the message of Christ in the face of certain death. And they're seeing people change. There are incredible things happening. 
There's a news report this past week about what's happening in Iran. And that hundreds are being baptized within the past couple weeks in Iran. God is doing things, but it comes through effort. It comes through prayer. And it comes through when God tells you, go right back to what I had you doing. I'm going to save you from this. Go right back. Let's see what they did. Alright? So, the second point today is obey God, not man. And let's continue on. Verse 27. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, For truly in this city... I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 4. Let's go over here to... Uh, chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. So let me give you some background here. They go back to the temple. Uh, these guys, right? The tribunal, whatever you want to call it, the high priest and his posse, however you want to look at it, they gather in the morning. You know, they've arrested them at night and then they gather in the morning. By the way, they arrested them at night because they were fearful of the crowd. They had the crowd. Now who's scared? You see, the power is shifting. And so they arrest them in the night and they put them in, and they basically say, let's gather together in the morning, we'll figure out what we're going to do here. So now they're together and they're saying, okay, go to the prison and get these guys and bring them. And, and they get a report from the jail. Uh, they're not there. The door's locked. The guards are all there. They're not there. We don't know what happened. And they're scratching their head. And almost in that same breath, right, somebody else comes in. Uh, I hate to say this, This is kind of like the guy who brings the bad news to Sauron, right, in Lord of the Rings. Uh, I hate to tell you this, they're back in the temple courts where we arrest them, and they're preaching again. I could just see the high priest just go, you know, you don't want to be that guy. They're right back where they were. So they go and they grab them again. And they bring them into the Sanhedrin's courts. And this is where we find them, and this is where we get this, this dialogue. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. By the way, the high priest will not say the name of Jesus. Is that not fascinating? Can I just encourage you, when you pray, you pray in the name of Jesus. You pray in the name of Jesus. It's the high priest, I am too. But we'll make it through. All right. So we're praying in the name of Jesus. And it says this, And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now think about this. Remember we started with a question. What happens when there's some kind of an ideological schism between you and someone? Right? And, and they're holding to this ideology, or maybe let's just, let's just do it. Let's just go there. Political view. And you've got this political view, and you just want to bump up against it. How are you going to do it? Are you just going to rail against them? Are you going to get sucked into it? Are you going to approach them in love? We had a very interesting thing happen this past week. Uh, you, some of you heard the testimony by Patricia uh, last Sunday that uh, through options for women, we have a mobile unit, and for the first time, we were able to park on the other side of Planned Parenthood over in Walnut Creek. And she encountered a young couple, and it was actually her conversation, her loving conversation with with the teenage man that caused them to rethink what they were doing and him just letting her know, look, I'm with you. 
I'm with you. I'm supporting you. I will be there. I will help you. Just hearing those words was enough to change a mind. And because we had the right message at the right time. Now what was happening on the other curb were several people with big picket signs that say exactly what you think they say. Now we had an individual walk into our office this past week that this is his ministry. And he's going around to churches trying to raise money. And so what do you say? How do you have this conversation? And something about it just didn't gel right with how we love how options reaches out to people. Now ideologically, we may be somewhat on the same page, but how you have that conversation, we're nowhere close. Is taking the death of, uh, or, or prompting the death of an innocent child an anathema? Absolutely. But if we think by yelling and saying horrible things and showing pictures and all of that, that's going to change a scared and fearful woman's mind? This was not Christ's approach. Christ had that approach with those who should have known better. But as we look at at John 4, and I'll, I'll go there real briefly, when we look at John 4, He had a truthful but compassionate approach to the woman at the well. So the end of this story is this gentleman keeps pushing and pushing for uh, himself to meet with our missions committee. And, and then I find out that he had met with, he had just been over at Options. And so I called to see, you know, what's going on and found out that this individual is very much, um, doesn't fit with our approach on this. Still passionate about the same things, but doesn't fit in how to have the conversation. How do you do this? Because what we're about to see Peter do in this passage is a little brutal. And you see it here. So Caiaphas says, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here we have, uh, or you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, right? And so what is Peter's answer to him? We must obey God, what? Rather than man. And I can use that to shut anybody down, right? I, I, I could walk up to, uh, to David here and say horrible mean things to David. And, and, and then, you know, let's say Dave back there comes to me afterwards and says, man, I heard how you were railing on David over here and we have the same name and so I really feel badly because, you know, you might come say something. No, it, that was just not done well. That was not done right. And I could just simply say to David or anybody else in the room that would come to me to admonish me, Say, hey, I'm not here to listen to you. I'm here just to listen to God. And God told me to say this. Why am I taking, and why did I get off the stage? Because I'm saying this because we're in the same boat on this. We're in the same boat on this. Please do not use Peter's words here as license for your own ideology, your own agenda, your own ability to eviscerate the other side. When it comes to this statement, we'll give it some clarity. And I really encourage you, go to your life groups this week because there's life group notes that take you into a much deeper discussion on this. But we're going to look to Jesus to give us some context to this answer. Remember who He's talking to. 
He's talking to those who are acting incredibly sinful, who are absolutely polarized against God, and who are not in a fragile situation. These are the same ones that Jesus confronted as well. So you have to lean on the Spirit, and you have to know what to say, and you have to speak truth in love. You have to speak truth in love. So what does, what does, what does Peter do? Oh my goodness. Caiaphas says, you keep trying to hang the blood of this man on us. Knock it off. This isn't going well for us. We're going to arrest you. Maybe even worse. You know, Knock it off. And he says, i got to obey God, not man. And by the way, boom, I'm going to hit you again with it right now. And he says what? Here's a beautiful demonstration of the Gospel. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. Wow, should I say this next part? Should I say this next part? They're really mad at us. They threw us in jail. Uh, I'm probably not going to win them over if, if, if I say this part. And, and so maybe the whole approach of love here would be better. Maybe I could get Caiaphas to go to Starbucks with me. We could sit down, have an Americano or in a falafel, you know, and, and really bond over the whole thing, man, and, and, and just kind of take that approach. You killed by hanging him on a tree! Oh, you know, John and Bartholomew are like, oh no, we're going right back in. Right? This is the guy who three times, because of worried about being thrown in jail, said, oh, I don't know, I don't know the guy, I don't know the guy, I don't know the guy. He's speaking because the Spirit is telling him Caiaphas needs to be confronted with his sin. Folks, there's a place for this. There's a place for this. But you really have to understand by the leading of the Holy Spirit where that place is. Our place to talk tough on this issue of the sanctity of life is not on a corner with a woman who's in crisis. It's at the state capitol when a bill is ready to go and and they're asking us to stand up and say what we need to say. That's where we talk in terms like this. Okay? So let's let's look and see how this played out according to Jesus. Because I want to give you some context. So the answer to this is, as we look at this, directing or direct refuting of God's will is never an option for those who name Jesus as Lord. So remember, the whole idea that they've got to obey God, not man, just take that principle and hold on to it. Latch on to it. For you and I, brothers and sisters, the direct refuting of God's will is never an option for those who name Jesus as Lord. So when it comes to different ideologies and all the different approaches to how we live life, how we make our choices, can I encourage you, don't be on the opposite end of God. It's not going to work out real well for you. Don't let the fact that you really love someone taint the idea of what is good and what is true. You can still love someone. Look, raise your hand if you think you're a pretty decent person. Do you think you're a pretty decent person? Do you think you're pretty wise in your own eyes? Yeah, nobody's raising their hands now, right? Of course you do! Right? Next time somebody's talking about a song, just keep your mouth quiet whether you like it or not. Yeah? Bet you can't do it. You know? But you can't say what your favorite song is, you know? You, you, we're just wired this way. 
to just vocalize our own opinion and the valuation of people, right? But when we put the valuation of people, those that we love, above God and God's truth, we've got it backwards and it's dangerous. And if you, if you want to know more about that, read Romans 1. Because that's what we're doing right now, folks. We are worshiping the created and not the creator. Just because you disagree with someone does not mean that you do not love them. Let me give you some context to that. What kind of speech should a faithful believer in Jesus Christ use with the opposition? Truth in love. Truth in love. So Jesus is walking through Samaria. Why? We don't know. But what we do know is he has this encounter with this gal that he really shouldn't be talking to, according to man. According to culture, he shouldn't be talking to her. So he starts out by saying, your whole life is really screwed up. You have issues with men, right? That's how the conversation starts, right? No. He starts out, and he obviously knows her if you read the whole story. He starts out with just introducing, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. Right? Hey, could you please get me some water to drink? Right? We're not talking ideology. We're not talking theology. We're not talking doctrine. It's just our needs, very practical, real. And then he starts to take the very thing that they're connecting over and starts to spin it into hope. Starts to spin it into a message of hope. You need the water that you will never thirst for again. That it will satisfy you for eternity. And he keeps speaking to it and speaking to it to the point where she says, I want this water. And then what does he say? Oh my goodness, this is great. She says, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to to draw water. Remember, the idea is obey God, not man. How do we have the conversation? You're watching what Jesus does. He provides hope. And now she's saying, how do I get this water? What do I do? I want it. You know, the entire time Jesus knew what was causing her so much problem. The hurts, hang-ups, and habits. He knew. He knew, but He didn't start with the the ugly. He started with the hope, and He started just in a practical way. But then He says, brilliantly, she's saying, give me the water, give me the water, give me the water, right? Jesus says to her, go, call your husband. And come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right, saying, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is what? True. Now he could have approached that completely different saying, Before you get this eternal water, Gal, you got to get your life together. You're a wreck when it comes to relationships with, with, with guys, right? And so we have this whole world that we live in, folks, where we're struggling with the idea of marriage, commitment, relationship. Can I encourage you? Jesus says, I'm going to offer you this water. I'm going to offer you this water. But you've got to understand there's a purpose to it. It's so you get past these hurts, hang-ups, and habits. It's not just given to you just to drink. It will change you. But he enters into that conversation with truth and love. And hopefully you see that. Dive into that a little deeper. We don't have time right now, but understand this, that just even borrowing from Ecclesiastes 3, it says there's a time for everything. Speaking boldly and speaking compassionately. 
Lean on the Holy Spirit so you know that time. And the perfect rendition of the Gospel you see there. Let's get to our last point. So strange alliances. And this is one of the, the, when I say this is one of my favorite passages, not only is it exciting to see what God does in releasing the apostles, but now you have this really crazy thing happen. Has anybody ever spoken up for you that you had no, you were, if somebody had told you, you just would have said, no, that didn't happen. That did not happen. That person would never speak up for me. This is what the story says. It is amazing. And so there is a teacher, someone who is part of the Sanhedrin, who is well respected. His name is Gamaliel. And when you do some history on him, uh, you find him outside the context of Scripture as well. You find him in Jewish history. Uh, he carries some gravitas. All right? There was some serious credibility to Gamaliel. And some would speculate that Gamaliel and Paul, or Saul, would have known each other very, very well. Again, speculation on that part. But as we look at this idea of, so they've got him in the room, Peter says we've got to follow God, not man. Then he presents the Gospel. He's kind of punching them in the face with the truth because they need it. They need admonishing like that. They're obeying God. They're doing what God says. They're listening to the Holy Spirit. And so what happens next? Well, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Okay, you get what you asked for, Peter. Not going, so, not going so well. But it says, But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. You ever been in a meeting like that? Uh, okay, you know, ma'am, could you please calm down? I don't know why I said ma'am. Maybe I said man. Man, could you please calm down? Real quickly, you know, we're going to ask you to go over here to the green room. There's some nice, you know, there's some M&Ms and some granola and some water. You can have that. And we're just going to kind of discuss this while you're over there. And we just need everybody to cool down a little bit. And so they remove them. And then tempers flare. And they're like, we're going to kill them. We're going to kill These guys, these are the religious leaders. And they're just killing everybody. They are a mess. Now, if you ever get really ballyhooed, and I've never used that word in a sermon before in my life, but if you ever get really excited about how great people are, just go look at these guys. And all of a sudden you start to understand the wickedness of our own hearts. Just look at history and thank God for Jesus. And so what happens? So you have this strange alliance. And so you see what happens with Gamaliel standing up and then he says this, So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it's going to what? It's going to fail. Just, just relax everybody. Because what we're doing isn't working. And the crowd's going to hang us. We're going to lose it. And so I believe the Holy Spirit was actually speaking to Gamaliel. Because what he said was very true. In the midst of chaos, God raises a politician. God can raise a politician who can actually speak wisdom in the midst of chaos. Do not doubt. Because that's what's playing out in the Scriptures right in front of you. And so what happens? God raised up a politician to protect His people. He literally says, leave him alone. If it's of man, it's going to fail. If it's of God, you're banging your head against the wall. And we're going to come out looking real bad. You do not want to fight against God. 
real good practical advice for us in our own lives, but also for the world in general. Sec- or, yeah, secondly, God raised up a crowd to protect His people. See, here's these people that were able to actually kill Christ because the crowd was kind of silent. Now the crowd is behind these guys. And now the ruling establishment is fearful. Do you know that's kind of an interesting and inspiring part of where we live? That if we as a people rise up, and the founding fathers understood this, we as a people rise up and follow through, that we can actually do something. We can actually do something. Third, God raised up obvious and irrefutable actions that won the day. You see, when they released the apostles, they went on, and we'll see it as we continue on through Acts, they went on and did all these things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the church blossomed. And the temple went down. And the temple goes down in just a few short decades. It's destroyed. It is utterly destroyed. But the power of God, which was associated with the temple, is not there anymore. The power of God is within His people. Amen? And the church is still here. You see, these men, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, were guarding their establishment, and it failed because it was godless. Jesus gave a promise to Peter, and He says, you will be My rock, and upon the church, I will build My church upon you, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And the church is thriving. I mean, we got our issues. Don't get me wrong. But the church is thriving. And persecution gives each of us the opportunity to rise up in the face and answer this question. We need to win the day with the power of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. That's what played out in this story. So for you and I, brothers and sisters, as we face political problems, as we face different ideologies, how do we have the conversation? Understand the context of everything that you see in Scripture. All the conversations. There is a time for everything, Ecclesiastes 3. But understand and look at the life of Jesus. And when you have the conversation, you do so by the power of the Father by what? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. And look for the fruit of the Spirit. If there is no fruit, God is not in it. God is not in it. Amen? Let's close today. I pray that as as this is a story that unfolds in front of us, you're able to apply it in your own life. That you're able to see how God may use it. This morning, if you've brought your... Gifts and offerings, thank you so much. And we'll pray that uh, over that and ask that the Lord would bless that and, and use it to His glory, His effectiveness. Um, this week, you can look in your bulletin and see all that's happening in, through, and around the ministry here at Concord Bible Church. Let me close in prayer and then send you. Let's stand together. Father, as we listen to this amazing story, We see the boldness of the apostles. And we see it because they were obedient to Your Spirit. We see it, and I suspect we see it, because they relied upon the promise of Jesus Christ. That the gates of hell would not prevail against the message of the Gospel. 
And so when the angel showed and opened the door and set them free and said, go right back to what you were doing, they obeyed. And when confronted and told to stop, they did not hesitate. Instead, they stood up for what was right. And they admonished those who sought to destroy the Gospel. Those who were evil. Those who held animus in their heart towards towards God. They stood for what was right. And in the midst of doing so, you raised up someone to speak on behalf and to protect. Lord, that we would not be spiritually apathetic. That we would hear this story and be inspired to know how to have the conversation. How to be used by You. How to obey You in in all things. And Father, this morning as we go about our way, we pray over the gifts that were brought today and we we, we thank and acknowledge the way that Your Spirit is moving amongst our body uh, to supply the need as a gift of worship to You that Your Word may go out, may be effective. We pray over the multiplication of that. Bless the giver, Lord. To you be all glory. Amen.